Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up here on episode 26, as we take a deep dive into the NFC East, I'm going to give you two breakout players for each of the Eagles' main competition in the NFC East. So, uh, by my math, that's six players total. Yes, I believe I've done that right. Also, ten questions as we get set for training camp for your Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, the NFL and the Players Association have agreed to a new set of health and safety protocols, which will allow training camp to get started. And we just have to cross our fingers that the coronavirus doesn't uh, insert itself into the festivities here in 2020. But I want to start off continuing what we talked about last week, uh, which was the Washington football team name change. Most of us have come to call the Washington football team by that name, the Washington football team. Uh, And especially since they officially announced last week that they were dropping the name Redskins for forever. They have decided to go with a temporary name. Uh, They're not going to be using uh, any, they're not going to get to a a decision on a new name moving forward. So for this NFL season, the Washington football team will be called the Washington football team. Very ingenious. Uh, It's really amazing that this franchise did not have some other plans in in place, like some plan B or some plan C options. Uh, uh, one uh, Washington football team executive said this week that they have, they're not really even close on uh, a different team nickname. And so, I don't give Washington a whole lot of credit for 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 using this. I mean, listen, it's fine. Um, you're not going to call yourself, uh, you know, you're not going to call yourself the Capitals unless you're ready to make that your official team name moving forward. So, Washington football team is fine. Certainly nobody's going to rush out the door and go buy some Washington football team apparel. Uh, It's interesting what they're going to do. They are going to keep the colors burgundy and gold and what they're going to do on the helmets in place of the uh, the logo that they have had for many years. They're simply going to put each player's jersey number on the sides of their burgundy helmets painted in yellow, which I think will look pretty cool. It's kind of a college-y type thing to do. There's really not much else they could do unless they just wanted to kind of do what the Cleveland Browns do and just have it a solid color, which would also be another way to go. But Instead, they're going to use the the players' jersey numbers painted in yellow on the side of the burgundy helmets, which is, you know, it's fine. And they want to keep the colors. That's fine, too. It's just it's pretty lame. Uh, Calling yourselves the Washington football team. It's, again, what everybody has been calling them. Maybe that's why they've decided to do that. Uh, but they, the reason they did, you know, they are not close on a new on a new name. And they said they want to undergo an extensive branding effort before they make a name change, before they make a decision. Uh, we had heard, I think I mentioned last week on the podcast, that one of the names that they were considering was involved in some kind of copyright or trademark dispute. And it, it looks as though Daniel Snyder and the rest of the Washington front office is going in some kind of a different direction. We don't really know which. So they probably will not have a new team name in time for 2020. It's probably not going to happen until just before next year. You would imagine that Daniel Snyder is going to want to roll it out. They they say they want to talk to uh, community leaders, uh, industry insiders, branding officials, lawyers, all those kinds of people. If they've been, if they had been listening to the public, if they had been listening to the fans, they certainly would be much further down this road and probably wouldn't have had to be forced into this. But that's what's happened. They've been forced into this, and so they're just not ready to come with a new team name. And so Washington football team is what it will be here for 2020. But just wanted to give you all an update on that. Most of you all probably know that, but I just think it's interesting. Uh, the 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 logos that's out that are out there now is. Couldn't be more bland, and 
they're just I think um, you'll see uh, on the little graphics in the bottom of the TV when when they when they have the score it'll probably say WFT you know for Washington football team. Okay, guys, um, take your time. Uh, we're, we are in no hurry. Uh, as we look ahead here, I, I have a piece going up on BleedingGreenNation.com this week detailing two breakout players from each of the NFC East teams not named the Philadelphia Eagles. So I've got two from the Washington football team, two from the New York Giants, and two from the Dallas Cowboys. And so let's talk about some players who could break out. The Eagles are going to see each of these teams twice this year. Again, provided COVID-19 doesn't give us any surprises. And these are some players I think we'll need to keep an eye out for. Some players who I think will make the leap from being bench guys, uh, being guys who are kind of afterthoughts, to being key contributors to each of these different teams. And in some cases, maybe even breakout stars. But when I'm talking about breakout players, I'm trying to avoid guys like Chase Young, who I think we all believe is going to be a breakout player. And Daniel Jones, I think, could have a breakout season this year, but he was a, a very early first-round pick, so I'm not I'm not including him. You will hear a couple first-round picks on this list, but they were all from a few years ago, and they have not exactly showered themselves with glory these last few years, and so I think those types of guys qualify, but I'm not taking guys that were taken high in the first round this year. Uh, that's Pretty easy. You know, C.D. Lamb, of course, I think we all believe is going to be a breakout star. He's not amongst the list here of these six players. So the, I'm going to look at the Washington football team first. And the first player I want to target is Darius Geis, running back for the Washington football team. And our pals over at Hogshaven recently did a poll asking readers who they felt was most likely to be a breakout performer in 2020. And Geis was far and away the leading vote getter at 41%. I can't blame him. I think, I think he's an excellent choice because Geis has always been talented. That's never been a question. The issue with him has been staying healthy. He's played only five NFL games in his first two seasons. He missed all of his rookie season with a torn ACL, and then he missed all but five games last year with an MCL sprain. When he has been in the lineup, he's been pretty good, and he's had some star-quality games. He had a 10-carry, 129-yard rushing performance against the Carolina Panthers last season in which he showed a really nice ability to run between the tackles. He broke off a long touchdown run in that one. He's just a good-looking young running back who has not had the ability to stay healthy. When he does, if he does, I think he's going to be a very good running back, and there's going to be plenty of—Washington and Ron Rivera are desperate to find someone in the backfield. Each of the other three teams in this division, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Cowboys, all have great running backs. Miles Sanders, I think we all believe, is going to be a breakout star for the Eagles this year. Saquon Barkley already has broken out. Ezekiel Elliott has already easily broken out, obviously. Darius Geis is going to compete. I think Adrian Peterson's coming back, um, and they've, they, you know, they've, they've got some other players in the mix, but certainly... Nobody with the ability to run between the tackles and be a potential 20-carry-a-game guy like Darius Geis could be. And I think he's going to get the opportunity to do that this year. We won't see any preseason games, so it's you know there's no preseason games that are going to be played this year. That's where you would like to get a sense of how much of, the, how much of a run is this particular guy going to get. We won't see that here. In, in the preseason, we're just going to have to kind of look at who the number ones are in training camp with these different teams. I think they're going to lean on Geis as the number one guy and just hope and pray that he stays healthy. If he does, I think you could be looking at a thousand yard runner. I think you could be looking at a potential pro bowler. That's how good that's the kind of talent level Darius Geis has. And Dwayne Haskins desperately needs some kind of offensive playmaker to step to the forefront to help him out besides Terry McLaurin. I think he will have one other player on the offensive side of the ball that could be a breakout this year, and that's Thaddeus Moss, tight end. Um, 
We know that Washington was looking for a tight end. They almost got Austin Hooper from the Falcons, but he instead uh, went elsewhere. And so, again, Haskins looking for some kind of safety valve, looking for a guy who can work the middle of the field on third and seven. Somebody that he can turn to, throw the ball between the hashes. And Thaddeus Moss was not selected in the NFL draft. He's an undrafted free agent. So, you know. There's a reason for that, and maybe it's silly to have him on a list like this, but he's he, there's an opportunity on this football team for him to get some run. And I'm not saying he's going to go to the Pro Bowl in 2020, but the son of Randy Moss was a productive tight end at one of the nation's top programs and did not drop, did not drop a single pass last year. If you can be a reliable target for Dwayne Haskins, I think he's going to try and get him the ball. And so he's going to need people who he can depend on to get the offense moving. And outside of McLaurin and outside of potentially Geis, there's just not a whole lot there. So Moss is not like his daddy. He's not a field stretcher. But I think he could be a security blanket in the middle of the field and pile up a number of catches this year for Washington. He could be a 60-catch guy um, if, if everything breaks right, if he gets off to a good start. Again, we'll see what kind, where they have him lined up in training camp. But, you know, the, the, the Washington football team's uh, tight end uh, depth chart does not have Moss in the number one or two spot. But, you know, the guys, the guys ahead of him are certainly no great shakes. As I look on uh, ESPN's uh, depth chart uh, for Washington at tight end, they have him at number four. Jeremy Sprinkle they have as the as the number one. Logan Thomas at two. Richard Rogers as the number three, and Thaddeus Moss at the as the four. But you know why why not to, why not Thaddeus Moss? You know he, he may be buried on the depth chart right now, but if he has a good training camp, I think he could be a productive player uh, for Washington this year. That one's kind of a shot in the dark, but frankly, there are not a lot of options with the Washington football team this year. Moving over to the New York Giants, I'm going to take a look at another tight end. And this is a guy we know pretty well because he's always played well against the Eagles. And his rookie season was quite good. We all thought this guy was going to be a star, and that's Evan Engram. Uh, a lot of people are picking Caden Smith as the breakout tight end for New York this year. But I think those people are sleeping on how good Engram can be when he's healthy and how good he has been when he's healthy. But that's the key, when he's healthy. I know I said I wasn't going to put any high draft picks on this list, but I think Engram's the exception. He was selected in the first round all the way back in 2017, had a good rookie year, caught 64 balls for 722 yards and six touchdowns, but he dealt with a lot of injuries the last couple of seasons that forced him to miss 13 games during that time. Uh, He's got a lot of talent. He can be a playmaker when he's on the field. In, In the season opener against the Cowboys last year, he hauled in 11 balls for 116 yards and a touchdown. Two weeks later, in week three, he snagged six balls for 113 yards and a score. He's always been one of the fastest tight ends in football, as evidenced by the long touchdown run he had against the Buccaneers last year. So he's got skills. He, he can be a number one tight end if he can stay healthy. And, you know, may, maybe you see Caden Smith uh, stealing some of those targets away from Evan Engram. Maybe the Giants have run out of patience, but I think if Engram can stay healthy, he is the number one tight end on that team and has the talent to be a a plus option for Daniel Jones between the hashes in the middle of the field. The other breakout player I have for the Giants is O'Shane Zimenez, who started just two games for New York in his rookie season last year, but he played in all 16 as the number three edge rusher on the depth chart. He rushed the passer 269 times last year and had four and a half sacks with nine QB hits, which is not bad production for that level of, uh, of play on the field and for a first-year player. I think it's still a little unclear if New York is going to have Marcus Golden back in 2020. There's some contractual stuff going on with him. Golden will probably be back. Um, if New York State, and, and we saw in New York this offseason, stay out of the edge rusher market. I think if Jadavian Clowney's number had come down or or 
does come down, he still could be added by the Giants. The rumors between Clowney and the Giants have been going on since the start of the offseason. But right now, I think one of the reasons they haven't broken the bank is certainly salary cap implications. But one of the reasons they haven't broken the bank to go out and get Clowney is because they believe Zimenez. They believe he can be a starter in his second season. Um, there's, you know, he had a good game against the Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field late last year, got a sack on Carson Wentz in that game. So uh, this is a guy I think can get an opportunity, even as the as a number three edge rusher, to double his sack total. I think you could see this guy jump from four and a half to, to eight or nine sacks this year. And I think that's exactly what the Giants are hoping for. And that's what they were anticipating when they decided to stay out of the edge rusher market, at least so far here this offseason. Moving on to the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to look at... Number two running back, Tony Pollard. He's a guy who a lot of us thought would split a lot of the carries with Ezekiel Elliott last year or be a little bit more of a dynamic playmaker. And I think we just have to remember that Jason Garrett was a pretty terrible head coach. Part of the reason I think he's going to break out is new head coach Mike McCarthy, who likes to use his running backs out of the backfield as receivers. We saw him do that in Green Bay quite a bit. Elliott is fine out of the backfield catching the ball. He's, he's a decent uh, pass catcher, but Elliott's strength is toting the rock 25 times a game between the tackles. He's dynamic that way. Pollard is a good change of pace back, and I think he's going to be featured more in the passing game this year than he was in his rookie season under Garrett when he only caught 15 balls for 107 yards. Again, never forget Jason Garrett was a terrible head coach, kids. That's a key takeaway from our, our time having watched the Cowboys here uh, over the last decade. Pollard's a quick guy, man. He's got a, He's got a lot of talent. Ezekiel Elliott is obviously going to be the bell cow in that offense, but if you're looking for uh, another offensive player on the Cowboys, I think one of them is Tony Pollard. Uh, he's, he can be a guy that Dak Prescott likes to use in swing passes. The screen game might see him used in the screen game quite a bit more. You might even see Tony Pollard line up in the slot every once in a while, although it's going to be hard for the Cowboys uh, to, to substitute their three wide receiver packages and and uh, and have him in the slot. And I, I mentioned the, the three wide packages that I think we're going to see uh, with the Dallas Cowboys this year, because the next guy is another tight end in the division that I think could have a breakout season this year, and that's Blake Jarwin. So that's right. Every team in the division is going to have a breakout tight end here in 2020. Tight end is an easy position to target because we see there are teams, there are so few good tight ends in the NFL, and we've watched the Eagles over the last few years. The Eagles were the only team in the NFL last year to have a tight end on the field for every single snap. I don't know how much we're going to see tight ends on the field for Dallas, but they obviously like Blake Jarwin quite a bit. They signed him to a four-year, $24.5 million deal this offseason. And with Jason Witten finally riding into the sunset, the starting job is now Jarwin's all to himself. He's played well when he's been on the field, which again, points to Jason Garrett being an awful head coach. And clinging to the legacy of Jason Witten, there's no reason Witten should have been on the field as much as he was, taking as many snaps and targets from Jarwin as he was. He hauled in 58 balls for 672 yards in his three seasons with Dallas, Jarwin has, but uh, Garrett's obsession with Witten prevented him from, from getting more play. His best single-game performance came in Week 17 of the 2018 season. Again, this is kind of a garbage-time game, when he caught seven balls for 119 yards and three touchdowns against the New York Giants. But this is not just me going out on a limb here. I think most people who are who are picking breakout players for the Dallas Cowboys have Blake Jarwin listed high on their list, and that's a good re- the good reason for that. I mean, it's clear that Mike McCarthy likes him 
giving him a four-year, $24.5 million deal, and he's clearly going to be the number one tight end on what should be one of the best offenses in football. We talk about the three wide receiver packages Dallas Dallas has and Dallas will be able to implement. They're going to have great speed on the outside in Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb. If you want to put a tight end on the field, it's going to create all kinds of matchup problems when you've got second the members of the secondary having to worry about the receivers and worrying about Ezekiel Elliott and worrying about Tony Pollard maybe coming out of the backfield. Blake Jarwin should find lots of room in the middle of the field in order to get open and, and you know, bring in some passes for Dak Prescott. So I think Jarwin and Tony Pollard are my two breakout candidates for the Dallas Cowboys. O'Shane Zimenez and Evan Ingram are my two breakout candidates for the Giants. And Darius Geis and Thaddeus Moss are my two breakout candidates for the Washington football team. Let's step away. We'll take a quick break when we come back. I've got 10 questions that I'm going to need answered here in Eagles training camp, and I'll run down my list of 10 for you coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So as the, as the Eagles get ready for training camp here in the next few days, it's going to be a, a long acclimation period uh, for all these guys to get ready. And again, we're not going to see any games this year. No preseason games, which most of us don't enjoy preseason games anyway. And we saw last year the Eagles starters just never played. It was really kind of useless. So we're going to have to glean as much as we can from training camp and from practices. And during training camp and during these practices, there are a bunch of questions for this Eagles team. If things break really right, this Eagles team could be a Super Bowl contender, but things could just as easily break the other way, and you could be looking at another 8-8 eight and eight season, 9-7 and seven season, and you know you get a 9-7 and seven season from, from Philadelphia this year, and you're, no, you're not guaranteed of not only winning the division like they did last year, but making the playoffs in a very tough NFC. So let's talk about some, some of these questions that we need answered in training camp when it gets underway here in the next few days. The first and one of the biggest is, can Andre Dillard hang at starting left tackle? When the team brought Jason Peters back uh, to fill the spot left by Brandon Brooks when he when he injured himself at right guard, it would seem to indicate that the Eagles were committed to Andre Dillard at left tackle. But you probably heard Kisten Solak talking about this. Bringing, bringing Jason Peters back gives the Eagles the option to put Peters at left tackle if Andre Dillard struggles. Andre Dillard struggles. And, and as Ben mentioned, you know, if Dillard struggles, if the, if by game four or game five of the season, Dillard's just having a real rough time, the call for Peters to go play left tackle is going to be deafening. And it's going to be hard for the Eagles to ignore it. So we would it would be great to get to see Dillard in game action in the preseason. Again, you don't... <laughs> It's hard to gauge exactly what you're seeing in the preseason sometimes, and so maybe we wouldn't get a whole lot out of that, but it would be better than just seeing him in training camp and seeing him in practice this summer. But uh, Andre Dillard, can he hack it at left tackle? That's going to be a huge key to the Eagles' offensive cohesion uh, this season. And uh, in adjacent to that, my second question is, how will Jason Peters adjust to right guard? Peters has been a left tackle forever. This is no spring pup. Now, the demands on you as a as a guard are a little bit less than as a tackle. Uh, and moving over to the right side, he's not having to worry about Carson Wentz's blind spot. But it's an adjustment. You, you know, you, you do things differently with your mechanics. Um, and so does Peters, is he going to be flexible enough to make the switch? He seems willing to do it. He loves Philadelphia. It's it's great that Jason Peters is back. I think there's certainly a, a higher level of confidence in the offensive line with Peters at right guard rather than Matt Pryor, although Pryor is an, an okay player at that position. At least he's shown to be throughout the brief time that he's had. He, he's been able to get on the field. 
But how Jason Peters adjusts at right guard is going to be a big key to this offense. Again, the offensive line, this has been this has been a rock. This has been a cornerstone of this of this team for years. And there are more question marks on the offensive line heading into 2020 than there have been probably in the last six or seven years for this team. So these are going to be two important questions that we're going to need to see answered in training camp. Can Andre Dillard be a starting left tackle? Can Jason Peters adjust to right guard? Question number three, how will the wide receiver depth chart shake out? And there are like five or six questions within the wide receiver question. What are we going to see from Alshon Jeffrey? Is he even going to be ready to go to start the season? Probably not. Okay, if Alshon Jeffrey's not ready to go, when will Alshon Jeffrey be ready to come back? Will Deshaun Jackson be able to make it through training camp without putting his foot in his mouth again and or staying healthy, getting injured? Where does J.J. Ortega-Whiteside factor into all of this? Just a second-year player. We've seen we've seen rookies struggle and play well in their second year, but not to the extent that Ortega-Whiteside struggled. You wonder if the kid's confidence is shot or if the Eagles' confidence in him is shot. And they went out and got Jalen Rager this offseason. How does Jalen Rager look in training camp? How is he picking up the playbook without, without OTAs to kind of lean back on? Where does Greg Ward fit into the mix? He's like... He, he, comes into the season probably penciled in as your as your slot receiver, but if Alshon's out there, if uh, Jalen Rager's out there, if Deshaun's out there, where does Greg Ward fit? And, you know, where does Arthega Whiteside fit into all that? There are so, And then you've got, you know, they went out and they, um, they went and got uh, from the 49ers, Marquise Goodwin. Where does Marquise Goodwin fit into all this? And they went out and they, they drafted a couple of speed receivers in the fifth or sixth round. They didn't do that for them to never play. They're probably not going to play much this year. But how the wide receiver depth chart shakes out during training camp is going to be fascinating. And again, Alshon probably won't be a part of that. He's probably going to miss the start of the season. So you're probably looking at a combination of Deshaun, Jalen Rager, Greg Ward, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. You're probably looking at Ortega-Whiteside as your number four wide receiver to start the season with Deshaun and Rager on the outside and Greg Ward in the slot. But again, when Alshon comes back, you just you wonder what's going to happen with all of those guys. Question number four, who will be the team's number two cornerback? And I guess just in general, how is this all going to shake out in the secondary? We know Darius Slay is going to be the number one guy, and he's going to lock down every opposing team's wide receiver. But does Sidney Jones become the number two? Is it Russell Douglas? Is it uh, Avante Maddox, who showed great promise in his rookie year and took a step back last year? What about Craven LeBlanc, who was injured for most of last year? He's a guy we forget but played really well when he came to the team in 2018. They have some different options back there, but no one who really seems to to have their head above anybody else. Sidney Jones is obviously the one, I think, with the highest upside. He's He was drafted in the second round a couple years ago. Injuries have really hurt him. He had some big plays in their stretch run last year, but didn't actually play all that much in their stretch run. And Avante Maddox is a guy who... Again, looked so good in 2018 and struggled to repeat it in 2019. Can one of those guys take a step forward and be the legitimate number two cornerback, which would which would give the Eagles a, a solid number three option, it would seem, in the slot? You also have to ask, and question number five for me is, can the Eagles find a replacement for Malcolm Jenkins? Is that replacement Jalen Mills? Can he be the Malcolm Jenkins replacement, or is it going to be somebody else? Is it, is it going to be, you know, is it going to be Kayvon Wallace? Is it going to be Will Parks? I mean, who knows? It, they have a lot of question marks in the secondary um, this uh, the, coming into the season, and they're going to really need to see in training camp how this all shakes out. I know, I know, Jim jo- Jim Schwartz, not Jim Johnson. Jim Schwartz has has basically said that this defense is going to be a hybrid 
that defined roles really are not going to be a thing. Well, you got to define something. And I'm not sure that having um, having a jello mold for a secondary where you're just kind of where you're fixing things every week, it's it's kind of like in baseball. If you don't have a bullpen with established roles, it's really hard to be successful. I think it's gonna be really hard for a defense where none of your men, none of your players in the secondary know exactly what their role is week in and week out. Maybe I'm interpreting it wrong. Maybe I'm reading the room wrong here, but I, I think it's going to be a little bit tricky. It works a little bit better if, if every team kind of knows what it's, every player on the team knows what its job is. All right, question number six, who are the linebackers? And I, 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 I ask that honestly, seriously, who are this team's linebackers? Nathan Gary is your starter on the weak side. Right now, my thinking is Jatavis Brown is your is your starting middle linebacker, and you're probably looking at Alex Singleton as as your as your strong side linebacker. Now, I mean, they drafted Davian Taylor, uh, but he he's a work in progress. He he's not a guy who's going to be ready to ready to take a, a lot of snaps. Duke Riley is in the mix, um, most likely at the weak side linebacker, backing up Nate Gary, but he can also pre- play one of the other positions. Of course, undrafted second year guy T.J. Edwards um, is uh, more of a run stopping guy, but uh, he's probably He'll probably that those will all be. Listen, here's the thing. I'm mentioning, you know, Nate Gary, Tavius Brown, Alex Singleton, Duke Riley, T.J. Edwards. You know, it's it's gonna be a free for all for these linebacker positions. And I know this is not a team that plays three linebackers very often. This is not a defense that plays. Um, you know, it's standard linebacker. Uh, for, you know, formation is is with is going with two. They're usually in the nickel, but. It's hard to have a good defense when you really don't have anything at the linebacker position. And I'm not sure the Eagles have anything at the linebacker position right now. It's a weak group. It's just a weak group. And if you're getting a lot of, I mean, listen, they've loaded up on, you know, the interior rush with Fletcher Cox and Hargrave and, and Malik Jackson. That's great. And you hope that Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham and Jannard Avery can provide the, the edge pass rush, the pass rush from the edge. But you got to have some kind of linebackers. And I don't think the Eagles have done nearly enough to address the linebacker position. They screwed up last year when they, when they signed LJ Fort and then never played him. And then they let him go to Baltimore and he signed an extension with Baltimore. They could really use an LJ Fort right now. But they don't have anything like that. They don't have anything like that. And so I'll tell you, it's, it's a really weak position. It might be the weakest position group on any defense in the NFC East. And that's saying something. There's just nothing there at linebacker for the Eagles, and I, I'm not I'm not excited about this group. And I think linebackers are more important than uh, than a lot of other people. I mean, it's not the most important part of the defense, but you can't ignore it either. And it feels like the Eagles are kind of ignoring it here at the moment. Um, will we see less 12 personnel this year? Again, this goes back to the wide receiver question. I think you're going to see a lot of 12 personnel if this wide receiver situation doesn't straighten out, if, if Ortega Whiteside continues to look like he did last year, um, if Greg Ward doesn't play like he did at the end of last year. There's no guarantee we're going to get the same Greg Ward. There's no guarantee Deshaun Jackson's going to stay healthy. We don't know what Jalen Rager's going to give us. And you already have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, two of the best tight ends in the NFC, on the same team. I think what we would like to see from this Eagles team is a more dynamic offense. And when you're playing in 12 personnel, you can move the ball up and down the field, but it is pretty laborious. It, 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 unless, you've, unless you are able to hit the home run ball in 12 personnel. And if Deshaun and Rager are both healthy and flying down the field, you can do that. You can play, you can play those two guys on the outside and, and keep our Ertz and, and Goddard on the field at the same time, and, and you can have some excitement out there. So I think you will see the Eagles stay in 12 personnel a lot, but... I think you might see a little bit less this year if the Eagles have confidence in some of the new wide receivers that they've brought on board. But that, you know, there's 
still a lot to be learned about just how good the Eagles wide receiving core is going to be. And I think that'll have some kind of an impact on how much we see the Eagles in 12 personnel here in 2020. All right, question. Let's see. We're on question number eight. Will the new voices in the coaches room lead to any new ideas and play design? And this kind of goes back to what I was just talking about. Eagles brought in a lot of new voices this offseason. Rich Scangarello was brought in to to bring some fresh new ideas uh, uh, to the to the offense. Press Taylor was elevated to passing game coordinator. So you're gonna have you know you're gonna have some new voices there, and they brought in uh, a number of other different guys. Uh, they brought Marty Marty Morningweg back as a senior offensive consultant. We'll see exactly w- what he does. Um, you know the the influence of Scangarello. How much how much of an effect will it have on what Doug Peterson does with his play calling on 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 being able to be a little bit more dynamic because it's it, it was an issue last year. Watching that offense play last year was not fun, and it took a lot for them to get in the end zone. Now the good news is when they did get into the red zone, they usually scored touchdowns, but. Man, that is not a team where if they got behind by a couple of scores that they could strike back quickly. So they need Deshaun Jackson, they need Jalen Rager, and they need some inventiveness in the play design like we saw in 2017 when the Eagles were completely out-scheming people all season long. All right, uh, question number nine. Do the Eagles need another running back? Or are they good with what they have? Miles Sanders, the more you're hearing as the offseason goes along is that this is going to be Miles Sanders' backfield. Obviously, Boston Scott showed a lot last year as a, as a guy off the practice squad, and he's going to be the number two running back coming into the season, which is, I think, one of the reasons why you haven't seen the Eagles go out and get Devontae Freeman just yet, why they didn't get Carlos Hyde, uh, you know, why they, haven't been, why they haven't been aggressive in going out and getting another running back. I think that they like... Miles Sanders a lot, and I think are, are going to use him more than they've used any other running back in the last few years. And I think Boston Scott's going to going to have a role on this team. You might not need another top running back, and which makes Corey Clement as your number three running back probably the most the most logical choice. You know, the Eagles are going to be. They're going to have salary cap issues going into next year, and and they have some room this year. But you know. <laughs> you don't just want to go sign a player just for the sake of signing a player. And there's a reason nobody has gone out and gotten Devonte Freeman yet. There's a reason he's been changing agents. Obviously what he's looking for is not out there. So I don't necessarily think the Eagles need a run, another running back, but let's see, let's see how these guys look. Let's see what kind of packages that they're running. And, you know, we might still see the Eagles add uh, another running back into the mix here. I don't think they need one right now. Devonte Freeman would be a good choice to add, but he'd be my number three. I'd have him on lower on the depth chart than Boston Scott for sure, and, and I think Miles Sanders is going to get a ton of touches here in 2020. Finally, my number 10 question for the team, can Carson Wentz stay healthy? He stayed healthy all last year. Let's just, let's just dispense of something right now. Carson Wentz was blindsided by a cheap hit on the back of his helmet last year. This is not a guy who has had a, has a, a bunch of soft tissue injuries that he, that he can't seem to get past. He suffered a concussion exactly the same way every other single player in the league would have gotten a concussion last year. So last year he was healthy. He made it through all 16 games. It stinks. It absolutely stinks that he got knocked out of that game because the Eagles probably win that football game if Carson Wentz can stay on the field. That being said... Carson Wentz has to stay healthy, <laughs> he's, and that's one of the reasons why you don't play him in the preseason. He's got to stay healthy, He's he, and his, his arm is fine, his legs are fine, his knee is obviously back to 100%, with the exception of getting knocked on the head by a sledgehammer in the playoff game last year. Carson Wentz stayed healthy last season. 
And there's no reason to think he won't stay healthy this season as well. But it's obviously something to keep an eye on because what do the Eagles have at backup quarterback right now? I mean, you're looking at Nate Sudfeld as the backup. And really, Jalen Hurts, the second-round pick, as your number three quarterback. If Carson Wentz gets hurt, season's over. It's done. You know, and and it's probably over anyway, unless, you know, you you just stumble on another Nick Foles. And by the way, everybody out, everybody out there who thinks getting a backup quarterback, yes, it's important, but you're generally speaking not winning the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. It's happened twice. Three times. Jim Plunkett did it against the Eagles uh, back in 1980. Jeff Hostetler did it against the Bills back in 1990. And Nick Foles did it in 2017. Just not something that happens. So, yes, it's important for the Eagles. The, the reason you need a backup quarterback is someone to get you through three or four games during the course of a season. If if your quarterback goes out of Carson Wentz, you know, stuffer, su- suffers a... Um, a quad injury and needs and needs four weeks to recover. You need somebody who can get you through those four weeks and go two and two for you. Is Nate Sudfeld that guy? I'm not so sure Nate Sudfeld's that guy. Is Jalen Hurts that guy? Not yet, of course. So, you know, we're still kind of rolling the dice here with Carson Wentz staying healthy. He needs to stay healthy in training camp. I guess, you know, there's always that thought that Josh McCown will come back, but, well, he hasn't come back just yet. Maybe they give him a call if and when something happens, but you would think that... Uh, that they would already be kind of down the road on that. And might, it might happen close to the season. A lot of times you get these ads in training camp when other quarterbacks go down or quarterbacks get cut by other teams. But um, if you want somebody to get you through a four, five, six-game stretch when your quarterback goes out, I think you need something better than Nate Sudfeld, frankly. So Carson Wentz absolutely has to stay healthy in training camp. And whether or not he can do that is going to be one of the big questions as we as we watch the Eagles uh, get ready for the 2020 season with no preseason games. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure you continue to check out BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day for the latest news and information on your football team. And uh, continue to subscribe to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed where you get our litany of shows that come your way every week training camp is here guys so the dead the dead zone is just about over we are ramping it up and uh, we've got lots of great content on the bleeding green nation podcast feed please leave those five star ratings and reviews when you can goes a long way to helping out the podcast thanks everybody for tuning in i'll talk to you all next time here on eye on the enemy bgn